All right, I'm going to start reading in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm strategically going to read from uh, verse 9. Start reading right there because I'm going to kind of show you this passage here. Uh, it's often one that is very misused. All right, So I'm going to read just this passage and I'm going to give you the typical interpretation that you will hear of this passage. But then we're going to look at context and show that most people have it all wrong. All right? I, and whenever I read this passage, I almost can't read it without reading it with a southern accent because the camp meeting crowd loves this. And Is it offensive when I make fun of southerners to anybody in here? Nobody's offended by that? All right. Are you sure you had your chance? All right, because I, I enjoy doing it. It's okay. You know, we're all white and same color. You're allowed to make fun of the accents if they're the same color as you. All right, that's the official rules anyway. But anyway, the Bible says... Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But now ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Uh, you know, some of y'all out there, one time you was the drunkards, the extortioners, and you know what? Thank God He can take the lowest person out there. You think of the worst person that you know out there. You think about the most vile piece of filth you ever thought of, and you know, the hand of the Lord could come down there and He could save them. How dare you say that Bruce Jenner can't be saved and Jeffrey Dahmer and people like that? Because such were some of you at one time. You know, apparently some of y'all were cross-dressers and eating people and stuff like that. You know, so it's for some of you, you know, that, this is, that is a famous line that you'll hear. I've had people call me many times. They've listened to some of my preaching, you know, on the reprobate doctrine or something, and then they'll be like, what about and such for some of you? I had a guy call one time. He left a message, uh, wanting to talk to me about some of these things, and I had to take this call. I had, to, I had to call this guy back. I mean, he had the full-blown Southern camp meeting accent. I was like, I am talking to this guy. And we had a good long talk. It was a good time. He was, he was a good guy, young guy. Uh, but listening to a lot of camp meeting preachers, and he's just confused about a lot of things. And people will take this passage here, and they always use it to try to refute what we teach about reprobates and somebody that's just gone too far that God has given over to a reprobate mind. And I hear this, and it's always at camp meetings. There's a famous line too I've heard uh, at a camp meeting. A guy gets up there. He wasn't even preaching, but he, everybody's going crazy and shouting. This guy just walks up. He kind of gets in the microphone. He's like, "Hand such, hand such, hand such. We're some of you." And you know, and everybody goes crazy. I don't even know what they were talking about, but you know, it all it gets the crowd going. And I'm all for some of that stuff. But at the same time, what does this phrase, in such or some of you, mean? Because the truth is, I do believe there was a specific application that he had when he gave this. And I also believe that there's a modern application that we could use. I actually think that this statement, in such or some of you, is one that we should use at people sometime when they're doing certain things. But you'll see that it's not what the camp meeting crowd uses it for. It's not what many preachers use it for. Most preachers, when they get and they say, and such were some of you, they're not talking about what the Apostle Paul was talking about. They're actually taking this passage out of context. So let's go ahead and let's look at the uh, verses before this and see what it's talking about. Because I want to show you in this message first what this statement means, but then how we can apply it to our life today. I believe there is a very specific application that we could use 
And so let's look at verse 1. It says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you. Why? Because ye go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take the wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. What Paul's been talking about here is how bad it is and just how foolish of an idea it is, how wrong it is for believers to go to court with other believers. All right? If we have a dispute as believers, you know what? We ought to be mature enough. We ought to be responsible enough to take care of it ourselves. I mean, the truth is, if any two of you have a, an issue with each other, you should be mature enough to just, the two of you ought to be able to work it out. That's just, that's how things ought to be. But you know what? Let's say we've got two really sorry people in the church that just aren't responsible adults. They can't just settle something. Sometimes you do need to bring a third party in. Well, what Paul's saying here, he's saying if you do need to bring somebody else in, why in the world would you go to the heathen courts? Why don't you take care of it in the church? Why would brother go against brother? Christians shouldn't be suing each other. Okay? We ought to be able to get things right, work it out ourselves, and if we can't, the church ought to be able to help us out in these things. That's what he's been talking about. And he's telling them, he's like, you know, why would you, why would you do this? Why would you go to the unjust? Why would you go to unbelievers to fix your problems? What makes you think these people are going to get it right? And you know what? Why would we do that even today? Our court system today is horrible. Our Supreme Court, the highest court in our land, ruled in favor of gay marriage. It was the Supreme Court that ruled in favor of the Roe versus Wade that gave us abortion. Our Supreme Court constantly makes horrible, wicked decisions. Why would we trust in a court that would legalize something as barbaric and wicked as abortion? Why would we do that? Why would we look to these people and have admiration for them and respect them? Why would we try to pattern anything we do off the Supreme Court and the wicked people that sit there? Why would we trust them? The people that gave us Obamacare, that said that you know that said states can't do what they want to do, basically just once again took away more states' rights. Why would we trust them? Why would we trust a court system that's just constantly making one bad decision after another? Why wouldn't we go before God's people? Say, so, well, you know, God's people aren't as smart. God's people, you know, they don't have degrees and laws and things like that. Listen, the Bible says that we're going to judge angels one of these days. So you know what? If God's going to give us judgment for that, we ought to be able to judge these small matters in the church. That's what he's been talking about. He said in this passage that you would be better off going or taking the least esteemed person in the church and letting him judge rather than going before unbelievers. That's what Paul thought about that court system. And you know what? I think the same thing about our court system today. 
I understand it's a necessary evil sometimes. I understand that if I go and I have a dispute with my neighbor, he's not going to let me bring it before our church. Okay? But you know what? That's, you know, when it's with somebody that's not our brother in Christ, that's another situation, right? If you've ever had to go to court with somebody, you know, out there, you had a car wreck, fender bender, something like that, I'm not saying you're a bad person for that. Those people, we're going to let you bring it before our church. You know, that, that's a different situation. But at the same time, when it comes to issues in our church, if we were to take a vote on who the sorriest person in our church is, and we're never going to do that, all right, we would be better off letting them judge matters than going to the heathen court system. Okay? Is that not what Paul was talking about here for eight verses? For eight verses, he said, I like what he said there at the, in verse seven. He said, Why do ye not rather take the wrong? Listen, I do, I hate going to the, I don't want to go to court for anything. I don't want I don't I hate when I have to call the cops for anything. If I, anytime I've ever called the cops, it's just been because I was kind of I legally had to. You know, one time we had people that were messing around out here and I wasn't allowed to go hide out up on the roof and snipe them from up there. You know, I would have gone to jail for that. So since I'm not allowed to do anything, I could have taken care of it, folks, all right? I could have, I I wouldn't have shot and hit them. I'd have just shot at them. I'd have shot at their car as they were driving off. You know, I, that's what I would have done. And they would have never messed around here again. Alright? But, that's illegal. I'm not allowed to do that. So, I didn't do that. So, you know what I had to do? I had to call the police, tell them, hey, can you guys keep an eye on people messing around out here? I could have taken care of it better. But, they'd have probably never messed around any other place again if, if I'd have done that to them. So, you know, I, but I don't want to do that. Alright? That ought to be some, you know, we ought to just not want to have anything to do with that. We ought to want to avoid it at all costs. And you know what? Sometimes we ought to just be willing to say, you know what? That it, The court system is so bad. It's so wicked. It's so repulsive. You know what? I would just rather take the wrong sometimes. Alright, yeah, this person did something wrong, but you know what? I don't feel like messing with the heathen. I don't feel like calling the cops for this. I don't feel like going to some judge that's not even saved, that's not even a believer, and just letting him handle this dispute, you know what? I would rather just you know, deal with this. Yeah, this place ripped me off. Yeah, McDonald's got my order wrong, but I'm not going to sue them. All right? you know, I'm not, you know, yes, they shorted my french fries. You know, whatever. I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take these things to court. I'm just going to take the wrong. I'll eat it. We ought to especially do that amongst God's people. He said, you, know, you should rather take the wrong. He said, why do you not rather... Suffer yourselves to be defrauded. You know what? Just go ahead and let yourself be ripped off. Let yourself be done wrong knowing that God's going to take care of you. God's going to recompense you. Don't go to a heathen court system. That's what he's saying right there. That is the context of this passage. And so after he says, he says, listen, you are at fault. He says, you're wrong for going to these people for judgment. And then in verse 9, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, why did he bring this up? Is he making a doctrinal statement about who God will save here? Is that what this is about? Or is he describing the type of people that they're going to? 
He said, listen, these people that you're going to, these are people that are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. These people are not one of us. We are not one of them. But then in verse 11, He says, and such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. You've been set apart. God has separated you. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know what He's doing right here? He's saying... This is that group that's over there, that group in that heathen court system that does all these wicked abominations. Some of you used to be a part of that system, that worldly system. Some of you, you used to be like these people. He's not saying some of you have done every one of these things that are here. He's just saying you used to be a part of that crowd. But y'all understand, when you got saved, God sanctified you, He set you apart. And so why in the world would you go back to that, back to that group? Why would you think you're going to get justice from them? You know that crowd. And then if we keep on reading, he goes on in verse, uh, verse 15, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two saith he should be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. He's saying, listen, don't join up with those people. That's what you came out of. That's what God separated you from. Why would you want to get connected with a group like that? You know that group. Therefore, you know, such were some of you. So when he says, and such were some of you, that is not a statement that he was making to show, hey, God can save those people out there, and such were some of you. That's not what he was saying right there. I'm not even saying that he's saying here God can't save some of these people, but he is not saying in this passage, when he says, and such were some of you, he was not using that as proof, you know, when he says, and such were some of you, as proof that God could save them. That wasn't what he was talking about at all. He was saying that pointing out the fact that you know what I'm telling you about this group is true. You know they're unjust. You know they're unbelievers. You know they're living wicked lives. Why would you even think that you can get justice from them? Now, and notice too, because if the way the camp meeting crowd interprets this, what the Bible should have said is in such were all of you. Because, you know, weren't we all sinners? You know, but no, he didn't say, "And such were all of you." He said, "And such were some of you," because you know what? There's, there was probably people in the church, like myself, who grew up in a Christian home. You know what? I thank God I grew up in a Christian home. I was taught Christian principles. I was taught to live like a Christian before I was even saved. I didn't have to. I, I don't know the life of a drunkard. I don't know the life of immorality and adultery and fornication. I was not raised that way. But you know what? And such were some of you. Some of you in here, you were raised that way. Some of you were raised, you were, you were taught that we evolved from monkeys. You were taught, you know, that there was no God. Some of you came from that. Some of you, and such were some of you, were, were Catholics. Some of you used to think that you had to work your way to heaven. You thought you had to take the sacraments. You know, I've seen the picture of Miss Alma wearing the little white wedding dress when she was a little girl, uh, you know, doing that first communion. You know, she came from that. She knows that. She's familiar with that lifestyle. But so the thing is, we would all scratch our head if all of a sudden, now that she knows the truth and she's been saved, if all of a sudden she's like, you know, I'm going to go back to the Catholic Church. We're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, you know that crowd over there. 
They think they're going to heaven because of their works. They worship Mary. They commit idolatry. You know that. And we would be more shocked if somebody who came out of that went back to that than we would somebody who never was a part of that maybe getting you know seduced by that. You know that, and it's the same thing too when it comes to the worldly lifestyle. You have young people many times that grew up in Christian homes. They grew up being taught morals and the, the principles of God, and often their parents they came out of that wicked lifestyle, and they do they try to teach their kids to stay away from that. But many times, children who grew up in that after they become adults, all of a sudden they want to experiment with that. And you know what? Parents who came out of that, it always devastates them because they're like, man, why would you do... You know, I know what that's like, but you know what? They don't know what it's like. And they often get deceived. They get seduced by the things of the world. But you know what? As, as sad as that is when that happens, it's really, really foolish when somebody comes out of that lifestyle, they get saved, God changes their life, for them to go back to that. You know, We're like, well, why would you do that? Why would you know, hey God you know gave you deliverance over that alcohol or maybe you know you they came from a drunkard drunkard's home they know what a drunkard does and what drinking does to a family and then for somebody to come out of that they get saved and they've never drank but then all of a sudden even though they know that lifestyle they go and then they start doing it we like why would you do that you should know better you know what kind of people hang out in those bars. You know what kind of stuff that goes on with that. Why would you do that? Why? Because in such were some of you. So he's describing here the people they're taking their disputes to. He's reminding them they used to be some of them used to be like these people, and they should know better than to think that they would get justice from them. He's also reminding them in this past in this chapter that God has separated them from the world. And they need to maintain that separation. When God saved us, He sanctified us. He set us apart. He's given us a purpose. He has something special for us. One of these days, He's going to come back for us. and He's going to change our vile body. He has separated us. But did you know we're supposed to also sanctify ourselves? We're supposed to separate ourselves. We're not supposed to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. There is a sanctification that God did for us, but there's a sanctification we're supposed to do for ourselves after we get saved. So Paul, in no way in this passage, is trying to make a doctrinal statement of who God will save or who... Or is he saying that the people in the congregation had done every one of these things that are mentioned before they got saved. He's just saying, you know that crowd. This is what they do. There's a lot of people who got saved later in life that came from very wicked homes, very wicked situations, and they know what that crowd does. They know about the homosexuality and the perversion. Now, they might not have ever done those things, but they were around it. They know what that crowd does. So that's why he's naming these things. He's not saying they did all those things, but they were from that crowd. So the statement, in such were some of you, it is a call to the church to remember what God saved them out of and to make sure they remain separated from that crowd. That is what that statement is. That's how, what Paul was doing with that. So now that we understand the statement and such were some of you, and what it actually means, how should we be using this statement in our lives today? 
You know, when would it be appropriate? What do I need to be talking about? When would it be appropriate for me to get up here and say, and such, and such, and such were some of you? When would that be? When would it be a timely manner for me to say that? When would that be appropriate? Well, here's one example: when churches bring in the heathen to honor them. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 14 and verse number one. It says, and at that time. Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. Um, for John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. Notice how John the Baptist told the king what he did was unlawful. You know what he just did? He put a law above the king, didn't he? He just told the king, somebody who outranks him, you know, that he was wrong and what he was doing. And I bring that up because there is a massive trend going on in fundamental Baptist churches where they like to bring in lost people and honor them. Okay? Now, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I thank God for, you know, I'm thankful for soldiers. I'm thankful for police officers and firemen and EMTs. I'm thankful for these people. I'm not real thankful for a lot of our mayors and governors and things like that a lot of times, alright? I am when they do good, but I'm not real thankful for them all the time. I'm thankful for these people. I believe they have a certain place of honor in our lives, I believe there's a certain level of respect that we should give them. I got pulled over last night. I respected the police officer's light. I pulled over. I gave my driver's license, my insurance, and I got. I think, thankfully, I got a warning. And uh, it wasn't for speeding; it was just a headlight was out. But anyway, I, I, there's a certain level of respect I will give as a citizen of the United States, as a citizen of Sterling. I will give a certain level of respect and honor that is due to them. Okay, But, here in church, we are a separated, sanctified group of people that God has called. And we are a separated, sanctified group of believers. So why would we, as a group of believers, bring in lost people to honor them? That is not appropriate. This is not the place for it. Okay? There is a, I believe there is a place for it outside of here, okay? but not in church. And that is a huge thing. You say, well, why? What's the big deal? Well, I'll tell you why. Because if any of you in here, you know, some of the, you know we have uh, a former police officer that's in here. I, I think he could probably tell us, you know what? Not all police officers are saved. In fact, some of them live, adult, live in fornication and adultery. Uh, some of them are homosexuals. Some of them, I mean, there's... There's bad ones. You know what? And so why would we bring people like that in and honor them? Some of our officials, some of our judges, some of our mayors, some of these people, they are not people that we would, you know, want to, we would look at as role models. First off, they don't believe in Christ. Many of them reject Christ. Many of them are atheists. Many of them are, well, you know, you could say, many of them are, Idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abuser themselves with mankind. You know? And I could say that to you. You know why? Because in such were some of you. Some of you used to be a part of that group. Some of you, you know, you know what that crowd is. So why would we bring that into the church and honor that? 
That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. But churches often do that. And I I brought up this passage because I I had somebody the other day. I was I don't remember what I said, but I was making fun of Fox News Baptists or talking about voting or something. I don't remember what it was. And he started talking about how you know men of God like John the Baptist and Elijah they got involved in politics. And I'm thinking, yeah, they got in king's faces and told them off. You know, John said it is not lawful for thee to have. He said that to the king. You know what these guys didn't do? They didn't bring him into the congregation and give him plaques and give him gift cards to their favorite restaurants and have everybody stand up and give him a big hand. That is not what they did. They didn't give those guys standing ovations. This guy brought up John the Baptist and Elijah as examples showing that we should get involved in politics. And hey, I'm all for you know doing what John the Baptist and Elijah did. But guess what? John the Baptist got killed. Oh, they try and Jezebel tried to kill Elijah. Though both of those men were not loved by these people, they were hated by these people. And yet, Baptists are using Elijah and John the Baptist as justification for them getting involved in politics and bringing in mayors and governors and all these people. I, listen, I, I know a church here. In, they had Bruce Rauner. Pro-choice Bruce Rauner. They brought him into their Baptist church and they honored the man. Why would they do that? Okay, now, you know, once again, I don't know that crowd that was there, but you know, I'm pretty sure there was probably some people out in that crowd that at one time, they were lost. At one, maybe at one time, they were pro-choice. At one time, you know, they were a heathen. At one time, they were wicked. And you know what? I would say to them, why would you bring a man like that? Do you not realize what kind of people are in Springfield today? Revilers, extortioners, adulterers, effeminate, abusing themselves with mankind. And such were some of you. Some, you know that crowd that's there. Why would you bring them into church and honor them? That it would be an appropriate time for you to say, and such were some of you when you're rebuking a church for bringing in the heathen and honoring these people. That doesn't make sense. We reject that. We are not going to do it. Thank God for the good things that they do. Alright? Thank God for, you know, thank God for these firemen who will go into a burning building and try to pull people out of the fire. That kind of reminds me what we do spiritually when we go soloing. But you know, I thank God for people that will do it physically too. I'm very thankful for that. But you know what? There's something very important that we teach around here. And you know one thing we teach around here is that good works don't get you to heaven. You know, that do, you know just because you go and you save somebody's life, is that going to get you into heaven? No. But is that not what people always think? I mean, boy, when anybody dies in the line of duty, whether it be a soldier, a police officer, a fireman, I mean, they automatically get put in heaven by the politicians, don't they? And you know what? Thank God for their sacrifice. But will their sacrifice get them into heaven? Will them giving their life get them into heaven? No, folks. And that is blasphemy to say that the life of Christ is the only thing that will get us into heaven. And so for us as a church, alright, once again, I'll go to the, if, if, if they want to do something in town to honor that, I'm in. You know? Let's go as a citizen. I'll go, but as a church, this is something special. We are about Jesus Christ. We are not about the community out there. We're about the community of believers in Jesus Christ, and we've got to maintain that separation. 
Okay? And so if you do, if you leave here today and you go to some banquet, you know, I, that, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with you doing that. I, I think it would be appropriate for us to do some of that stuff, but we don't do it in the church. And, and unfortunately, churches today, they're so desperate to just, you know, make themselves light by the world. They're, they're doing all this. I don't know who started this junk, but it is in Baptist churches, and I, and I reject it. We're not, we're not going to do that here. It is inappropriate to do that in church. And, uh, and my question I would want to say to these people, if I get, if I went to some camp meeting and before I get up there, they do some big thing like that, honor one of these groups, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to get in the microphone. I'm going to say, and such and such and such were some of you after I talk about the kind of people that they just had and they, they gave this honor to. I saw, uh, one of the first groups I noticed doing this, I saw Paul Chapel do this. Um, there was the group, I think it was out in California somewhere, there was like a city board or city council or something that they went and took this bold stand and they tried passing a law or they were trying to get them to stop saying prayer before uh, their meetings. This group still prayed before meetings. And so people tried to stop it and they stood against it and said, no, we're still going to have prayer. And, what, and Paul Chapel, he had these people in the church this entire you know board of directors, whatever, uh, from a town, and he gave him a Defender of the Faith Award. And I remember I saw that because I had read that story, and what this group would do, they would have different clergy members come in and pray all the time. So they might have a Catholic one day and a Methodist one day. I'm sure Paul Chapel probably got asked after that. You know, I mean, they would have all these different religions to please everybody. All right, now. I would say, okay, give him a Defender of Religious Freedom Award, but is that defending the faith, just allowing any religion to come in and pray? That doesn't even make, that, that doesn't even make sense. Why would we as Baptists you know, go and give somebody a Defender of the Faith Award who's letting lost people come in and pray, some maybe to Jesus, some do. I, I guarantee they probably had some Muslims in there too. Guarantee they probably had some Jews come in there too. That is not defending the faith, and, and we've got it. We've got to maintain that separation. And these churches have gotten completely out of line that have done this type of thing. It is wrong. They should not do that. These people are lost, and they ought to know that because there's people in those churches that came out of that group, and such were some of them, and so they ought to understand, hey, these aren't the kind of people we ought to be honoring in church. This is a special place, and we ought to, we ought to maintain that separation. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. It says, Be not... Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 
So one another time when it would be appropriate to say, and such were some of you, is when Christians start becoming unequally yoked with unbelievers. Hey, now if you're somebody, so let's say we have somebody here, you grew up in a home of unbelievers. You grew up around you know heathens that lived a wicked life, and then later, let's say in your early twenties, you get saved. You grew up from a broken home. You had parents that maybe maybe one was saved and one was lost. And you do, and you grow up, you get saved, and then all of a sudden now you're a believer, and then you go and you find some girl out there who's not saved, and you start pursuing marriage with her. You know what I would say in that case? Like, why would you try to marry an unsaved girl? Do you not realize what unsaved girls are like? Listen, be not deceived. You know, these kind of people, you know, I name off all of them, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. You came from that. Why would you want to go back into that? Your family had a marriage like that of one saved, one lost. You saw the turmoil it caused. You saw the problems that came from that. Why would you go to that? You know better than that. You came from that. Why would you go back to that? That's the time when it would be appropriate to say that. When somebody starts getting close with the unsaved. When someone wants to marry the unsaved. And often, and once again, often those who grew up in Christian homes, they're the ones who start becoming unequally yoked because they don't understand that crowd. They don't realize what they're getting into. They don't, they don't, they don't know. They've never been in that life. Okay, they they see what how Hollywood portrays it. They see the commercials. They see the pictures. They see the posts on social media. They see all that junk, but they can't see it for what it really is. You know why? Because they never were there. They never have lived that kind of life, and so they often get seduced and they get deceived, and that's sad when that happens. But you know what? It's a little more frustrating when somebody who comes out of that, God saves them out of that, but then all of a sudden they want to go back into that. You know, somebody who comes from that life and yet they want to go and ask people, you know, they want to get marital advice from them. You know, hey, listen, you grew up in a home of unsaved people. Now let me ask you, why would you go to an unsaved marriage counselor to help you with your marriage problems? You came from a home of atheists. Why would you go to an atheist to get help on, you know, on, on psychological issues and things like that? Why would you do that? You, you understand these people aren't on their way to heaven. You understand these people are not one of us. You understand this because and such were some of you. And therefore, you need to reject that crowd. You need to stay away from them. That's when it would be appropriate to say that. And so... When a Christian, another, turn over to James chapter 4 and verse 4. Another time we would say that. It says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. When a Christian starts looking like the world and acting like the world, that's when we would say, and such were some of you, when churches start bringing in the world's music, and you know, you know who's more sensitive about this stuff are people who came out of the world. See, people like myself, I was never allowed to listen to the rock music. I was never allowed to listen to the country music. I never listened to that stuff. I, 
I don't know, I don't have full understanding, you could say, of the negative effects of those things. But you know what? There's people who were a part of that and God saved them. And you know what? These people are usually very passionate about that stuff. They, I mean, they are very passionate about making sure we have good, godly music in church. You know why? Because they understand where that junk comes from. And when you have... And so one of those people, somebody who came out of that, if they go and they're in their, in their church, they've got a church full of people that maybe came out of that lifestyle, and then all of a sudden, they're wanting to bring in that rock music. You know, you know what they would say? Hey, why would we want to bring that into our church? Be not deceived about you know rock rock and rollers. You know, you know they you know, they're you know they're druggies. You know they're immoral. They're they're burnouts. You know they don't know what's even going on half the time. You know they're just you know they can name off all these things. You and you know and such were some of you. You know what I'm talking about? Why would we use their music? Why would we go to them for the music that we use in our church? It doesn't make sense. We would say, and such were some of you in that situation. Once again, unfortunately though, many people in my generation who grew up in churches with conservative music, who grew up in homes where they were not allowed to listen to that junk, what do we see them doing? We see them gravitating towards the world's music. They don't realize what's pulling them towards that is their flesh. Because they didn't come out of that. But people who did come out of that, they see that and they get frustrated because they understand exactly what that's all about. And it makes less sense for someone who came out of that to go back to that versus somebody... It's wrong for anybody. It's wrong for my generation that's doing that. They're dead wrong in doing that. But it would be even more frustrating, and I think we'd be speaking like Paul, if somebody who came out of that was going back to that. It doesn't make sense. You know, when churches start looking like bars, you know, why, why would we do that? Why would we get caught up in that? You know, when the congregation starts, you know, dressing like it's a nightclub. And folks, churches are looking like nightclubs today. And guess how people dress? They dress like they're at a nightclub. Now, where does that come from? Where are they learning this from? They're learning it from the heathen. They're not, they're not separating themselves. And many of the people that are doing this, it's young people that never were a part of that. And, but when we have people who came out of that to do it, it's really frustrating. And you know, my dad's generation, you know, he came out of, he, he left a very liberal movement. And, you know, they became more, uh, became more fundamental. And he, you know, he's always getting frustrated at the younger generation that's going back towards that, what they came out of. But you know what will really get them fired, really gets them fired up? Is when some of the same people that came out of that mess with him are now going back to it. It's like, why, why would you do it? Listen, you know that crowd. And such were some of you. Why would you go back to that? And so I say all this to show that that statement, and such were some of you, it is not a doctrinal statement. It's not an illustration that Paul was using to show who God can save. That has, that has nothing to do with it. He is using that to show them that, folks, you know that crowd that's out there. Why would we want to have anything to do with them? And you know what? There, there's groups out there I don't, I don't know much about. But some of you do. And so you would warn against them. You would say, hey, Pastor Tom, we don't want to, we don't want to yoke up with that crowd. I know that crowd. I came from that crowd. We, we need to stay away from them. There's some wicked groups in there. 
And if I was somebody that came out of that crowd with you, you'd be like, Pat, why are we? You know that group. This is the type of people that's in there. You were one of them at one time. So you know what I'm telling you is the truth. Let's stay out of that. Let's be separate. Let's be what God called us to be. We are a church of God. We are believers. We have been sanctified. God has set us apart spiritually and God wants us to sanctify ourselves too. We are the children of God. So why don't we start acting like we are the children of God? Yeah, we're, you know, we're normal people. You know, we're citizens of the United States of America. We're citizens of Sterling and Rock Falls. And there's things that they do out there that it's good and it's appropriate. But what we have here, it's special. What we have here, it's something that's not about the United States of America. It's about Jesus Christ. So let's maintain that separation. That And we should know better because we know that crowd that's out there, they're not on board with us when it comes to salvation when it comes to the things of God. And so that statement, as such for some of you, is a reminder of where you came from and it's a call to be separate. And thank God for what He's done in our lives. Let's not backslide. All right? Let's move forward. Let's keep ourselves pure. First John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. That's what we are. Now don't get all puffed up. Don't get lifted up with pride because you're, you're the sons of God. You got that on a free gift. You got that simply by asking for it. Because notice what he says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Alright, so any, if you think you got a reason to get puffed up, just understand it's a little premature because you're not there yet. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I'm gonna be like Jesus when he returns. I'm gonna be just like him when he returns. He's gonna change my vile body into one like his glorious body. So you know what I'm going to do in the meantime? He says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. You know what? I'm going to start working towards being like him right now. He has separated me. He's set me apart spiritually speaking. I am in good standing with God because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so you know what? Since He sees me as righteous, since He spiritually has made me righteous, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to see if I can't just try to be righteous. I'm going to see if I can't just be like Him right now. And you know what? Since He has separated me and He has put me in a different standing with God as a sanctified believer, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I maintain a separation myself. You know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna try to look like the world. I'm not gonna try to act like the world as a church. We're not gonna worry about being all hip and up to date in our clothing and in our music and all those things. We don't need to do that. We're, we're we're a separated group of people that God has saved. We've been saved by His grace, and we need to be reminded of that. Whenever you start acting like the world, if you all want to start bringing in worldly stuff, you know what? That's when I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna say, Why would we do that? Do you not understand what kind of, you understand who's designing these clothes that you're wanting to wear? Do you not understand the type of people that's producing that music that's out there? These programs, these philosophies, you know what kind of people are putting out this kind of stuff? You know, cause in such and such and such were some of you. So you know what? Let's reject it. Let's stay away from it. Let's maintain our separation. That's what that statement means. And I hope we, and that's what we're gonna do at Liberty Baptist Church. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for Your goodness to us. Lord, help us to remember 
where we came from and what You saved us from. Lord, for those who uh, were saved out of a life of sin and wickedness, and uh, Lord, I, I pray help them to never forget that and to uh, help them to maintain that separation. Lord, for those who were blessed and uh, were uh, saved out of a Christian home, Lord, help us not to be seduced by the things of this world. Help us to just trust You and be obedient. Help us to uh, just to learn from the uh, testimony of other people. And I pray you'll help us to uh, be like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead.